we have uh, a special Sunday on our hands uh, that many of you may be aware of. We've been mentioning it um, because a lot of people have contributed to make uh, this morning happen. Today is our annual remembrance service when we hold space to grieve loved ones lost by people in our community in the past year. Uh, we take this time to talk candidly about death and about grief. We light a candle for each name, uh, each specific name that we read. And so you see candles in front of me here. And then we're gonna spend time in silence together. There are uh, several ways to participate, um, whether we're talking about right now or we're talking about this week going forward. Uh, this week sort of in, built into the calendar culturally for many of us is a time to remember loved ones lost. And I'll tell you more about that before we um, are done today. So I just wanna mention some things that you might try this week if you're moved by this morning. Uh, or something you might try later today if you're moved by this morning. Uh, one thing you can do is uh, to write out or share aloud memories of a loved one lost. So a, a great routine um, that has uh, developed in my family is uh, on certain days of the year, we have what we call Grandma Ginny questions and Uncle James questions. And those are, um, that's my mother and my brother who have both passed away. And on their birthdays and on the anniversaries of their death, we do questions. So Grandma Ginny questions, Uncle James questions. And my kids and my wife asked questions. Um, my, my, uh, my wife and my oldest met my brother, but none of them met my mother because my mother died when I was young. And so this is a way for me to try to like search the recesses of my mind for things about them and try to say those things out loud. And it's a way for them to get to know these people who have formed them, but they didn't really know them very well, even though they have formed them because they formed me. And, uh, and so that's a practice that we really love, and it just kind of gets us talking about the people we've lost. And so perhaps that strikes you. Perhaps there's a loved one lost in your life, and you might try on different anniversaries marking them with questions uh, with uh, folks around in your life. Uh, some other ways that we can participate is we're going to have one in a moment where we're going to light a candle for each name that we're about to read, and we're going to be silent together. So you can really, like, settle yourself into that space. Try to make it prayerful and spiritual in this uh, moment for you internally. Another thing that you can try is uh, we're going to be, a, every year we do this, we're always a group of people that are kind of all over the map in terms of how actively we are grieving at this moment. So some of us might have lost somebody. One of the names that we're going to read is your name that you submitted to us. Some of us, that's not the case. But what you can do, if that's you who, who has less active grief right now, is you can pray quietly in your own mind that those who are experiencing more grief would feel the comfort and the closeness of God. That's something that we can do as we are in this space. And I believe that that makes a difference. I believe that the closeness and the connection that somebody can feel from God is increased. The possibility to experience that is increased when others are in this room praying quietly for them. And then finally, if you're somebody who is experiencing more grief, something that you can try is you can ask someone else you trust in this community, or you can ask Haley or me as the pastors here to pray for you pray for you in person, like in that moment. And that can be a really powerful experience too, where we just, we, we, we kind of think like, oh, if, if I can't do it myself, I, I don't know, like it, uh, then I'm, I must be bad. But that's just not the case with spirituality. So often the only way we can experience God is when somebody trusted comes alongside and kind of opens up the pipeline for us. And that can be really wonderful to just sit in a moment and let someone express for you what it is you're longing for. God, I pray that this person would feel God close right now. 
I mean, that can, that can move things for you if somebody else is doing it for you. So that's another thing that you can do. You can ask someone to pray for you in person. I'll mention these sort of ways to participate again as we close, uh, as I close my comments this morning. Uh, but I wanted to start there because this is, this is something that um, we say this a lot about uh, the things that we engage as a church. This is something we can't do for ourselves. This is something that requires community, and I think it requires a sense of a God that's bigger than us and a God of love not a God of retribution or anger, to actually enact, to actually do. Uh, and we have access to that as we're together this morning. So <clears throat> the kind of thing that we're trying to do here in Remembrance Sunday, why do we need it? I think we need it because grief is an inevitable experience for us all. Everyone eventually will experience grief, right? A loss, and not knowing what to do or how to make sense of life when in the midst of grief is pretty universal. When we don't have embodied communal practices or ceremonies or rituals or the like to move grief through us, to jump in in those moments that we feel lost and not sure what to do, to like activate some muscle memory so we don't have to come up with what to do on the spot when we're in the pit. If we don't have those things, there are dangers. Best case scenario is the danger of a quiet despair, like just kind of a, you know, fading into a depression, disappearing from our relationships. That's the best case scenario when we don't have something to help us move grief through us. Worst case scenario is bitterness. The conviction that Father Richard Rohr calls, because I suffered, others must suffer. Those are real dangers. I've witnessed both of them firsthand when grief gets stuck in people, when space is not given or embraced for grief to move through us. Modern life's sort of dominant cultural structure, the consumer capitalism, doesn't leave much room for these things, doesn't give us many favors, do us many favors to help us move grief through us. Because processing grief is, it's slow. It takes time. It goes in waves we sometimes we do all the right things and it doesn't change immediately, which is like, wait a minute, I, in, in capitalism, if I pay the right amount, I get the thing back. But it doesn't quite work so nicely. Consumer capitalism is not concerned with transcendence. It's not concerned with taking our time. It's concerned with the main and the plain right in front of us, what we can see and touch and sell and profit from. Time is money, right? Now, funerals and memorial services, those are traditions that are a part of our life, and that's really good. But so often in our structure, the pressure to pull off a funeral that meets expectations, meets family expectations, cultural expectations, well, that just comes in and steals even that good practice from being something beneficial for us. The meaning is sapped of it for those who are closest to a loss because we have to meet all those expectations. In our culture, individuals have to carry a lot of the load ourselves when it comes to how do we move grief through us. And sometimes some of us can find success in doing that if we're blessed with the right friend circles or we're in the right place at the right time, but that's a lot to leave up to chance and to luck. And so that's a big reason why we do Remembrance Sunday 
is to not leave some of the things, maybe the grief that's getting stuck of in, inside some people in our church, some people in our community, or friends of yours, people just to beyond your connections. Grief is stuck. One of the reasons we do Remembrance Sunday is to help unclog those pipelines, keep grief moving through us so that it doesn't turn into bitterness and it doesn't turn into a quiet despair. Historically, of course, the biggest, most consequential things of life, like death, like grief, have not been up to individuals ourselves to process. They've been, they, we've had things that have helped us do that, religion and culture. And as we often address here, religion and culture can also stunt our abilities to do the hardest tasks of life. Many of you have had that experience. But at their best, Religious and cultural expressions beautifully help us do these things, beautifully help us process grief. And so, again, some of the connecting of the dots we're trying to do here on Remembrance Sunday. Maybe you, like so many modern people, feel like there isn't a larger narrative or structure or communal practice to help you. And so perhaps Brownline Church can provide that for you this morning. Or maybe you do have some sort of ethnic or religious or cultural heritage that, that helps you in these moments. Like, you, you know what to do. You have practices that you fall back onto, but it just feels like there's no time or space for that in American life. Maybe what Brownline Church can do for you this morning is just give you some of that space. Have an hour that we stop running like chickens with our heads cut off and just remember that to love is sometimes to experience loss. So, some of the cultural and religious inspirations for me uh, that I'm drawing from this morning, and I wonder if you feel at all attached to any of these, uh, but I'll just mention them. One would be uh, All Saints Day or All Hallows Day. This is part of the Catholic tradition uh, of remembering those who have passed, and part of the diverse merging of Christian and non-Christian traditions and practices that is so much of history. Uh, where that has ended up today is what we know as Halloween, which stands for All Hallows Eve. Eve, the Eve before All Hallows Day, All Saints Day, and that's November 1st in the Catholic tradition, the day that we remember those who have died. And yes, a great deal of Halloween has become associated with what some may experience as like insensitive or gratuitous obsession with death. There is a significance behind this that also is really important. It's, it's more significant than we might think. This idea that like death is always with us and we need not be so afraid of it. Well, that's kind of a beautiful message, right? That's really, like, death is always with us. We need not be so afraid of it. That's, that's powerful. That's part of our inspiration, I think. And we think about having remembrance service. When we think about how our culture is sort of bringing us to a time of year where it's normal to think about these sorts of things or activate these sorts of parts of our, of our experience that we don't talk about all the time at cocktail parties. Dia de los Muertos is the Mexican tradition also a part of the diverse merging of Christian and non-Christian traditions informing this time of year, the close of October, the first days of November. Dia de los Muertos celebrates those we have lost as though they are still here with us. Ofrendas keep the memories of our loved ones alive with pictures and items that can help us recall them. It's so beautifully captured in the recent movie Coco. I am certainly among those white Americans who had no idea Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos, was so packed with beauty until I encountered the movie Coco. So count me educated. Another tradition that I draw from at a time like this is sitting Shiva in the Jewish tradition. Has anyone ever sat Shiva? 
Anyone? Show of hands? Anyone ever sat Shiva? No one. Mm, this is a beautiful, Trish, I want to tell you about it. One of my saddest yet most powerful memories uh, from being in high school was sitting Shiva with a friend who was culturally Jewish and all of their family and community uh, after this friend's mother died. This was a year and a half after my mother had died. And so I was like immediately attached to this friend of like wanting to be there for him as others had been there for me. And uh, what happens when you, uh, in, in the Jewish tradition is uh, after a death for six or seven days, the house of the family that has lost the loved one is full. It's full of food. It's full of people. It's full of anything that the family might need. And one of the rules that I learned about sitting Shiva is that you're never like on top of the family, like making sure that they have to be there and entertain. Oh, no, no. The family in the community is doing all of the entertaining for all the people who are coming in, for all the friends and all the different, you know, intersections of community for this family's life so that all their needs can be met. But if they want to go and be in their bedroom alone, that's fine. They can do that because everybody else, the community is taking care of entertaining all of the people. The community is taking care of making sure the fridge is stocked and there's food on the table when somebody does want to come out and eat. And if the family member wants to come out and share some memories, everybody's there and we're ready. And everybody kind of takes turns because it's over many days. But on the, oh, that community comes together and makes sure that for those six or seven days, if somebody is, has a chance to feel alone, there is a counter message that, is you, that you are not alone in your grief. It's a beautiful practice sitting Shiva. And I remember being a part of a bunch of high school kids who had no idea what Shiva was, sitting with our friend and just kind of learning from these elders in their community, what do we do when the worst has happened? They had a muscle memory. They had something that kind of like just guided them because people have sat Shiva for centuries. And so we just walked into that, and that has formed me to this day. What do I do when somebody around me is experiencing grief? Sometimes I just tap into what I learned sitting Shiva for my friend. The Hebrew Bible's vision in Jesus' time had cultural muscle memory too. What to do in grief. There's a, there's a phrase that shows up if you ever read the scriptures in the Hebrew Bible, and Jesus referred to it a great deal, and those who would, would try to interpret Jesus for us later in the New Testament referred to it. It's called the resurrection of the dead, the hope for the resurrection of the dead. And the idea was that every person who had ever died, especially those who had died unjustly or unfairly or too soon, at the end of things, of all things, those individuals will be raised back to life. This was the hope for the Hebrew people, for, G- for Jesus, for his people. This is the hope that they clung to, the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Those who have died unjustly, unfairly, too soon, all is not lost because at the end of all things, we will see them again. They will be raised to life. It's this idea that they demonstrate that there's a good God who has, been a, who has seen and been affected by all of the horrible deaths that have, that have happened. All of, the, all of the stories that we tell ourselves about people who were good people, but they died too soon. We, in order to have a good God, the Hebrews believed there had to be, at the end of all things, a resurrection of the dead. And in the early Jesus movement, people interpreted Jesus And Jesus' resurrection is the beginnings of the resurrection of the dead. Wow, God is not blind to our suffering. God cares for us. That's what they believed about Jesus. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. 
You know, today, modern American Christian notions of heaven, where we go after we die, so that we can all see each other one day again, they get at some of that same thing, right? And it's really different. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of modern American notions of heaven maybe have hurt people. And, but there, it's just yet another cultural expression. It's just yet another one of those things, those diverse mergings of Christian and non-Christian traditions and beliefs that help us cope when the worst things happen. And if, if we can see the beauty in those things, because we need those things, what do we do when we're experiencing loss? What do we do when the person next to us is experiencing loss and we want to say the right thing, but Jesus, I don't know what the right thing to say is. When we have muscle memories to tap into, experiences or ceremonies or rituals that we can just go back to and unthinkingly jump into, gosh, it's just such a pressure release valve. Because we don't have to wonder, what do I say? We can say, ah, oh, I've been here before. This is not going to be perfect, but I'm going to show that person that they're not alone. I'm going to show that person that God sees their pain. That's what these things are about. These days, I'm mostly drawn to traditions in the church that really take seriously the power of memory to help us power, uh, process grief. That remembering loved ones, as I was talking about before, my, my family's Grandma Ginny questions or Uncle James questions, those are not just like, oh, isn't that sweet? You know, those are not just sweet experiences. What if those are like sacred experiences when we are sharing stories? And often we're just like laughing and like, my kids are asking like, what was my mom's favorite superhero? I don't know what my mom's favorite superhero is, but we laugh about it. And we think like, well, I wonder, what, what do, we, okay, let me think about superheroes, my mom. What, what? And, and, and we go, what if that's not just sweet? What if that's sacred, what we're doing there? In my experience, it is. It is a genuinely transcendent experience where the past is brought back into the present. My, by becoming alive by the memories I'm sharing, I can experience once again that my mom is with me. That's God. That's God mediating those things. The, the, the first spiritual experience I ever had was an experience in prayer where it felt like God set up this interaction between my, my late mother and me where I felt I heard her say, you are okay, I'm okay, and everything's going to be okay. You are not crushed. That's my first ever experience where I was like, oh my God, there's a God. And that stays with me because it's this picture of the past sort of breaking into the present. Though when we share memories about loved ones lost, it is not just sweet, it is sacred. And we can tap into some of that. We can tap into some of that today. What is clear is that no matter the images or the stories or the traditions or the ceremonies or whatever it is that help us cope, we need something. If, it's, if we're just left, left up to ourselves as individuals to process our own grief, it will get stuck. And then those dangers of bitterness, I suffered, so other people must suffer. That's a danger that starts to crop up. Or that danger of just the quiet despair where we disappear, disappear from those who, who would be able to show us love, but we're just, we're just too closed down to even experience it. We have to stop those dangers by moving grief through us, letting it pass all the way through us. The best pictures of God, like those revealed in the person, person in the teachings of Jesus, show us that God is in no way distant from this ongoing need for humanity. 
God is not like separate and removed from all the pain we experience. Like, oh, eventually when you come to me, I'll take that pain away. God deeply understands these kind of experiences because God is revealed to us in Jesus, walked among us, was betrayed, was hurt, was misunderstood, experienced loss and grief, wept and cried and was angry and then was killed. And so God is not distant from these experiences. God is deeply empathetic. God is the fellow sufferer, the fellow griever, not the author of our suffering and grief. And that is so important for us to hold to if we're looking at all for help in our grief from God. God is our fellow griever and sufferer, not the author of our suffering and grief. Amen is right. So, we come to the portion where we acknowledge the names that have been submitted by people in our community. And so, what is going to happen here is you see several candles in front of me. And uh, we're going to take a moment. um, I'm going to light a candle for each name, and we're going to have a nice, healthy pause after each name to breathe in and breathe out. And again, I'll remind you, you can pray quietly if you're not actively experiencing grief right now. You can pray quietly for those who are. And if you are someone who is experiencing grief and something is going on for you internally that's a little bit too much for you to handle, that's okay. (laughs) That's part of what happens in, I think, a good spiritual experience. You don't have to face that alone. We encourage you to ask someone you trust to pray with you this morning before you leave. Uh, You do not have to face all of those emotions alone. Pray with me. Bill Cohen. Pat Dorsch. Kevin Ebenkamp. Lee Egger. Becky Fail. Coleman Favrier.
Richard Finnerty. Doug Mann. Beth Macau. Jerry Moore. Charles Roof. Becca Reynolds. Betsy Smirjiak. Jude Veltkamp. Rose Weinheimer.
Leonardo Williams. Marlene Culver. for those not mentioned that any of us hold in our hearts here today. I'm gonna pray. Into your hands, O Lord, we humbly entrust these loved ones lost. In this life, you embraced them with your tender love, and now you have delivered them from every evil and bid them eternal rest. The old order has passed away. You have welcomed them into paradise, where there is no sorrow, no weeping or pain, but fullness of peace and joy with Jesus and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Lord God, you are attentive to the voice of our pleading. Let us find in Jesus comfort in our sadness, presence in our doubt, and courage to live through grief. Make our faith strong. Lord, these loved ones are gone now from this earthly dwelling and have left behind those who mourn in their absence. Grant that we may hold dear their memory, never bitter for what we have lost, nor in regret for the past, but always in hope of the eternal kingdom where you will bring us together again through Christ our Lord. May the love of God and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ bless and console us and gently wipe every tear from our eyes. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And prayers from from an ancient collection of, uh, of prayers for the dead and dying and those who grieve. And we hope that that space, that um, the silence, the, the candlelight, the warmth that I feel from the candlelight, and maybe you can imagine yourself lighting a candle later if you're actively grieving, and the prayers can take us into a space um, that we just we can't on our own take ourselves to. And so, um, yeah, I'm, this, this service means a lot to me every year and, um, and I'm grateful to have shared it with you all. Uh, I wanna remind us all as we, um, as I close my comments uh, at least, for our ways to participate. You can 
um, enact the same sort of thing. This is a simple embodied ritual or ceremony. If you're one of those people who feels like, I don't even know what my cultural heritage does in this situation. You can light a candle and say a name. You can tell some stories about the people that you've lost. That's a really good practice and it moves grief through you. So I encourage you to try that. You can continue to pray. You can continue to ask somebody else to pray and remind yourself that if you have feelings that are a little bit too big for you to handle yourself, that doesn't make you crappy or like bad at grief. That makes you normal. <laughs> And asking somebody to pray with you is actually a really, really wise thing in that situation. The smartest of people, the most capable of people do exactly that, not don't need that. That's not what it means to be a good, good at grieving. What it means to be good at grieving is letting others in.